Pod. You are here, my friends, because you believe in the LGBTQ community and the importance of sharing our individual stories to help impact one another. The goal of the show is to introduce you to people and ideas that are going to help motivate you to pursue your dreams and empower you to believe in yourself. My name is Alexandria Friedlander, and I'm here to introduce you to remarkable people who have helped shift the world we live in today. Today's guest is Jen Kobar, who is a hilarious comedian, and I am so honored to have her on my show. Help me welcome Jen to the show. Jen, thank you so much for being here, or being in LA, but being on Zoom with me. Welcome to LesPod. Of course. Of course. It's a rocking Thursday afternoon here. Yes. Well, welcome to the show. Welcome to Miami, you know, from a uh, virtual experience. So welcome to the thank show. It's an honor to have you here. Um, you're, you're kind of a big deal. You have... Um, you're kind of my first celebrity that I've had on my show. It's a, it's a really big <laughs> deal. And um, man, you've been in a lot of things. So I kind of would like to hear from you, um, you know, about your history, about your career, um, a lot of things. But just to, just to share with everybody, you've been in a lot of different things. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm in 2011. And you've worked your way up to uh, now doing a show with uh, the Browns, which is awesome. And that's on uh, Apple TV. Um, and you've also been on uh, Dead to Me, which is a Netflix series, which is really neat. Great show. And um, you're just killing the game. You're out there. You are doing a lot. You've worked with Robert De Niro. You've worked with a lot of people. And I'd love to hear it from your perspective. So tell me a little bit about you, you know, who you are and uh, where you come from and a little bit about Jen. Well, um, I am originally from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, I consider myself a stand-up comedian first and foremost. Uh, as a stand-up, you end up doing a lot of writing. So I also have written uh, on some shows. I just finished writing a pilot series for myself that we're going to go shop around. I finished my first screenplay during COVID. That's awesome. Um, and I'm, I'm right now I am on season 10 of American Horror Story on uh, FX. That is right. The next day on Hulu. I haven't really seen it yet because I don't like scary, but uh, I hear I'm very good. And then uh, I'm working on a, a new series now that I'm not allowed to talk about, but uh, it's a big deal. And it's, it's with some pretty big people. So I'm pretty excited with where things have ended up. That's incredible, that's incredible. So tell me about um, one of your first big gigs. One of my first big gigs. Yeah. Do you mean like television-y kind of big gigs? Doesn't necessarily have to be television, but was not, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that big in like fame, but was big for you personally. That was like, you know, that it, that I was did like a, um, for you. I did a stand-up comedy contest on MySpace Ooh. back in the day, right? But it aired on uh, 
TBS. It was part of a TBS. I had to think about which network it was. Yeah, um, it was TBS did this stand up or sit down comedy competition and George Lopez hosted it. And I ended up getting to go on the road with George, Lo George Lopez after the, the show. So it was, that was a very big deal for me. We got to shoot some commercials for like Sierra Mist uh, after, after um, winning that thing. So it was a big deal. It was, it was a fun time. Uh, I got to work with George Lopez. I got to shoot these commercials. So I thought I was pretty. And the finals were in Las Vegas. We performed on the same stage Celine Dion did her show on. So I thought I was, I thought I was hot shit. I really did. Well, do you think you're hot shit? I mean, now I don't, but then I did. That's the, I like that. So that's, that's growth, you know, yes. that's, uh, that's a nice perspective shift. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, uh, who you were as a kid, how it was to come out of the closet when you did, what it was like. Um, um, sure I mean, I grew up, audience. I grew up in the deep South in, in Louisiana. Um, my parents were Jewish, but because the public schools down there were not great. So I went to Catholic school. So it was literally, I was a Jewish kid in Catholic school. And I was like the only gay one, right? Like, so, I mean, what else could I be but a comedian? Like that's of course what happened. <clears throat> uh, my coming out story, you know, wasn't, um, my, my mother has uh, a real problem with me, <laughs> with me being gay, uh, mostly because she's afraid of what the neighbors are gonna say about it. I don't think really she has much problem with it at all, but she's, so it wasn't that great. It wasn't that easy, but you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even think I ever, I mean, I did, I did say it to her because she seemed to not be getting it. Like I shaved my head and I was wearing neckties and I was hanging out with this one girl named Bridget all the time. You know what I mean? Like All the clues were there. When I told my dad, he was like, yeah, no shit. But my, my mom was like, I had no idea. So it was, you know, it was that i mean it wasn't great but you know i didn't i didn't get kicked out of the house or anything it's she just uh started hating me openly instead of in secret so it was fine uh, wow that, well that's hard that's hard for when did you come out if you don't mind me asking i was 21 when i when i fully said it to her with no without any hinting around um yeah 21 21 and were you still living with your parents at that time? No, no, no. I left home at 18 to go. I mean, I still stayed there when I came home at Christmas, but I was living in Chicago going to school. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Did you go to school for um, performing arts? I went to the theater school at DePaul. Yeah. So I went to an acting conservatory. Nice. Well, it obviously paid off. It did, didn't it? Yeah. You're killing the game. <laughs> For somebody that didn't graduate, I am doing well. Well, that says a lot, right? I don't want to say that too loudly, though, because I don't want them to come after me for a donation. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so tell me a little bit about, um, you know, what your dreams were as a kid. Like, did you, did you <clears throat> expect to become a comedian? How did you end up? 
figuring out this was your calling, this was your passion, you know, did you help people laugh and feel better about themselves and you realize the kind of impact you were making? Like, how did you get to the, to the conclusion that this was like who you were meant to be? Okay. So to break this down in the cliff notes version, I was a really smart kid, like just really smart. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying it as the fact of like, I was done with my work first, right? I, I was, I was way ahead of everybody else. I was reading on a much higher level because I started doing that so early. So I just had a very high comprehension of what the fuck was going on. So it was when I would finish first, what my goal was to do was to distract everyone else. So I talked a lot in class that was written on every report card I've ever had. Talks a lot in class. Won't stop talking in class. Distracts the other children. Very noisy in class. Very bossy. I mean, this is what was said. And, and it's true. I was just, I wasn't interested in what they were telling me. I felt like I kind of knew what they were telling me. At least once they told it to me, I knew it. You know what I mean? I didn't need to be, I, I absorb things very quickly. I memorize things very quickly. I have a very picture perfect memory. And so a lot of that was just very easy for me, very easy for me to get through. I could spit back, back facts at you. I could do all the voices. I could act it all out. Like I, it was a thing. And so I was constantly distracting other kids with, with my funniness or my shenanigans or my talking or whatever it was. And I was very lucky that once I got to high school, I had teachers that knew how to harness that. So they put me into speech, they put me into debate, they put me into drama classes. And so I started developing and honing these skills while also competing using these skills, right? That's what speech and debate and everything is about. And once you put a 99 cent trophy on the line. I'm all about it. So I was a very competitive kid as well. So I excelled at these things. I did really well. I was a national champion in speech in high school five times. So it was a, it was just something I was very good at at a very young age. And I'm just very lucky that, that they steered me into a, a place where I could channel all that energy and really put it to use and really help it make my mess my message, you know what I mean? So, so that I could use those things later in life um, to help myself kind of be the person I was supposed to be instead of just being a chatty, loudmouth kid in the back who was gonna keep everybody else from doing their work, you know, so. That's, that's really neat, that's really neat. Any, um, who inspired you, you know, like who did you look up to as a kid, you know, that kind of motivated you to want to, um, be where you are today? Uh, I was a big fan of Carol Burnett. When I was a kid, I watched a lot of Carol Burnett. I watched a lot of Gilda Radner. I watched a lot of Lily Tomlin. Uh, so those, Madeline Kahn, these strong women in comedy and, you know, through the years, you know, now I'm a big fan of Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and, and Kristen Wiig and these other strong women in comedy that are really you know, making a name for themselves and really not just getting out there in the way of performance, but getting out there in the way of writing and directing and creating projects that are female centric or that are, you know, comedies led by females, things like the bridesmaids and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, so, so that's the kind of content that I want to also be part of creating. So um, just strong women in comedy is what I always want to see. Right. 
Yeah, it's super powerful. It's super powerful. What is uh, one of your favorite films that is kind of, you know, a, a power, power chick flick that, you know, resonates with you? Oh, gosh, let me think. Let me think. I mean, nine to five is a big one. That's a I've, big. I haven't seen that big, yet, but uh, you haven't I'll, seen that. No. Nine to five. What do you mean you haven't seen it yet? Like, what are you waiting for? It came out in 1984. The hell are you? Were you even born then? Actually, that was the year I was born. There you five, go. That's, five, that's right? what's wrong with you. That's what's wrong with you, right? <laughs> we finally figured it out. <laughs> it's a great film. Uh, Grace and Frankie is a great show. It stars uh, Jane Fonda and, and Lily Tomlin. Just phenomenal um, actors. Phenomenal at the comedy. Phenomenal at playing the, the pathos of it, the vulnerability of the characters. It's just a great a great movie that I love. I love Overboard. I love me some Goldie Hawn. Um, yeah. I love Clue. Madeline Kahn was Mrs. White in Clue. Always flames. Uh, such a funny movie. Um, I re very recently, I liked uh, Barb and Star Visit Del Mar, right? Like whatever that ma madness was. That was cute and sweet and fun. And um, you know, I just, I like to, I mean, Wonder Woman, I'm obsessed with Wonder Woman. Yeah. So Kristen Wiig was in that. And even though she wasn't funny, it was still very good. Um, you know, I just, I, I love to see things with strong female leads. Yeah. Especially comedies. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that with me. What, what motivates you to get up every single day? Uh, my need for money. Okay. I like money. I like <laughs> I live right by the beach, which I very much enjoy. I like to travel, uh, even when I'm not traveling for work. I love to go uh, to good places, uh, most of which are closed off to Americans right now, but we're gonna get them back, we're gonna get them back. Um, yeah, so I really like to travel. I really like, this is my dog right here. Uh, she's also very expensive. She's asleep. Her, her nose is like nuzzled and you'll never get her out. But um, she's like, stop talking about me. Um, but, you know, I love to to spoil her. Um, I mean, look, I love to make people laugh. That's true. That's. Um, but getting up and getting on a plane every day to go do it can sometimes be um, hard. It's, it's like, oh, I have to, you have, you have to wake up and like go to an office or, or a job. I have to wake up and like go to Minneapolis. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then it's like right back home the next day. It's not, it sounds like not a, that big of a deal, but flying that quickly, that fast is very dehydrating. I'm always, I feel like I'm always dehydrated. I get Charlie horses in my legs like a crazy person. Now, I mean, I'm constantly calling my little guy to come massage me or, um, you know, my, my little um, acupuncture guy to come put all the needles in my face and make all the pain go away. It's, it's, they, they don't tell you that this getting older thing, they tack those years on at the end. So you're, you know, it's not as easy as it was when I was in my twenties. And now I'm just, I'm very motivated by the check. I'm not going to lie. I'm very motivated by the money that I'm going to make by going to do it, but I do love what I do. Why do you love it? Because it's fun because I can see the impact it makes immediately. I can see people go from scowls on their face 
to laughing till their face hurts. I can see people um, letting go of whatever's going on in their life and just giving in to like the cacophony of laughter that we've created in this room, you know? So I, I just love that, that the gratification to it is very instant, right? I get to instantly see people let go and let loose and laugh. And that's very rewarding. It's very exciting. I also get to vent about the things that piss me off. I also get to like be bigger than life for an hour and like get all that energy out of me and, and say all those things that I always wanted to say. I get to be like the truest part of myself for a whole hour at like energy on 10. You know what I mean? And that's nice but it's also incredibly exhausting. And all I want to do afterwards is like find some steak and shake, go home and watch law and order at the hotel before I have to wake up at the ass crack of dawn to fly back home. So it's not very glamorous. It's not this rock star life. Everybody thinks it is. Uh, but, but I, I very much enjoy what I get to do. That's awesome. That's awesome. What um, have you ever experienced a situation where, you know, someone was going through a difficult uh, time and because they saw, they saw, I'm sorry, saw your show or met you or you made them laugh, you shared a part of who you are with them, that it changed their life in some way or another. I mean, I don't know how life changing I've been, but I certainly get a lot of emails that are like, look, my dad just died. I really needed to laugh. Thank you for like, just providing that space and, and, and being there and not worrying about if you were gonna hurt anybody's feelings or if you were gonna, you know what I mean? Just saying the truth of the situation and being yourself and sharing yourself. And I really needed to laugh like that, you know, because I tell a lot of stories. I'm not doing a lot of set up punch, set up punch. It's, it's not like a bunch of one-liners. It's not, it's not uh, terribly graphic. It's not terribly, uh, sexual. It's just funny. It's just situations I get into that are funny. And I always like to heighten the stakes when I'm in those situations, because I know it's going to make for a funny story. So I'll just say the thing you're not supposed to say or do the thing I know I shouldn't do just to see where it lands, just to see what, what kind of a story I get out of it. And very often, more often than not, I get a great reaction. Someone's very Someone yes ands me and now we're off to the races. You know what I mean? So that's it's, awesome. It's a good time. Yeah. And what's it like to be so vulnerable and to put yourself out there? Like, what was it like the first time that you did that for the people that struggle with that? Because at the end of the day, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, being in front of an audience, it's it's hard. It's not, it's not something we've been really taught to do as human beings, you know, unless you took drama, you know, you know, I, I really recently just read a poem by Ruby Francisco and he talks about um, comparing, sharing his poetry with, with being a museum, you know, your, your pain and your tragedies and your traumas are encased in these little poems that people get to come and look at. And then they get to leave whenever they want. And nobody ever asks the museum if it's okay. Hmm. And I just thought that was such a wonderful metaphor for what it is. It's that I take all the pain and the tragedy and the trauma and the 
the gunk that I carry around and I've made it this funny thing for you to laugh at. And I've made it this, this story for you to listen to so that you can see yourself in it and hopefully take some of that to heal yourself. But just by showing you my pain, that doesn't heal it. So it, you know, it's a process. It's something that there are, there are things still that I haven't processed enough to talk about them. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll strike the surface of it or I'll, I'll mention little pieces of it, but there's clearly a deeper cavern there that I just haven't taken the time to dive into because it's just not where I am because I know I'm going to need time and space to deal with all of that. And I'm like, ah, I've got so many things going on. You know, I'll, I'll kind of code it this way to put it out there. And then, you know, if there's a, an opportunity for me to dig deeper into it, I will. But, you know, it's... <clears throat> it's something that as an artist, you struggle with, you know, what, how do I take this pain and turn it into art? Because I am the funniest when I am either falling in love or falling to pieces. Those are the two times you're going to catch me where, where I'm at my tip top shape. Uh, if, I, if things are just okay, or things are kind of just flying by, you know, I'm, it's just not terribly a creative time for me. That's not what I'm doing. But when I'm hurting or when I'm like trying to get someone's attention or trying to get someone to notice me, man, it is on. I can, I can write and I am prolific when that shit's going on, you know, but sometimes being happy and content isn't the greatest thing for my art. Huh. That's really fascinating. And I, I get it. I get it. You know, as a creative um, and I think that that's really powerful that you shared that, that, you know, whether, whether you're in pieces or in love is when you're the most inspired to be creative, to be funny, to be you. And that's, that's pretty cool. What is, um, what's something that you'd like to see more, you know, in the lesbian community in general? Hot women that are attracted to me. That's what I would like to see more of in the lesbian community. Uh, preferably brown girls, women with color. Uh, that's that's what I like. White women, stay home. You're fine. I I'm I'm done. Uh, but ladies, I think she's single. <laughs> Here's the thing that I think um, I do a lot of uh, traveling and entertaining for the Olivia Travel Group, which is strictly lesbians. And I also travel with the boys on these boy trips where it's me and 5,000 gay men. So <laughs> I feel like what I love about the, my time with the lesbians is that no matter what I'm going through, they really are like there for you. Like, it's not just like, girl, we're your friend. You, they're like, what do you need? What, you know what I mean? I, I, last time I was on a lesbian trip, I broke my thumb. Oh, and like, there were like 70 lesbians that were like, stay here. I have a splint back in my cabin. I'll be right back. One of them was like, I'll get some pain medicine. The other one's like, I have an anti-inflammatory. Like everybody dispersed to heal me. It was wonderful. Like I got hurt on a, on one of the gay trips with the boys. And one of them was like, hang on. Do you think you could use the stem from this cherry to like tie it off? Like I have a drink. All I have with me is a cocktail. Like, you know, so that's what I, what I love about the lesbian community is how 
you know, at the end of the day, you're dealing with girls and, and that there's something nice about the way we can treat each other without any pretension of how we look towards men, any, any validation we're looking for from men, any, uh, there's no mansplaining, you know what I mean? It's just when a lesbian is telling you something, it's cause she knows, right? If you're, if you're like buying the wrong size drill bit at the Lowe's, you know, Linda here is going to tell you, she's going to just really lay it out for you. And, and, uh, hey, Blueberry. and, uh, and so, you know, there's just an honesty and a, an integrity and a camaraderie that there is among women when we take men out of the equation. And so I enjoy that time. I enjoy that space. And, uh, you know, look, could lesbians be a little less, Lesbian, yes, yes. But what does that mean? Let's dive into that a little bit. Sometimes when I'm performing for a lesbian, all lesbian audience, there's like a level of political correctness you feel like you need to be at. Like there's almost like a, there's certain things we're not gonna laugh at. And that's true of me as well. There are certain things I'm not gonna laugh at. So why don't you just trust that I'm not gonna say those things and loosen up your sphincter and laugh with me? You know what I mean? So, so that's, that's the feeling I have. And I think that I'm one of those people. I'm very lucky. I'm pretty likable. I don't say anything terribly polarizing and, and people are able to just laugh with me no matter where you fall, because honey, there are lesbians that are far right wing, just as there are far left wing. I have learned that lesbians are just like everybody else. We come in every size, color, shape, denomination, belief system. Like, you know what I mean? Just, we're just, we're like people that way. And so, so you can't start thinking that you know the lesbian crowd or you know what the, because you don't. And right. so what you have to be is funny, funny to everybody. Anybody who listens to me is, you can be like, I don't agree with what she's saying, but what she's saying is funny. So that's, that's how I feel about it. And that's what I hope, you know, that, that more of the lesbian community community can, can, can get with is being, you know, funny and letting loose and, and just enjoying ourselves and each other. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, um, your message will hopefully impact and inspire people to be kinder, to be lighter, to enjoy this life that, you know, isn't guaranteed to us tomorrow but that we Absolutely. have to just enjoy in the moment. And, and I think so often we forget about that because we get so wrapped up in the monotonous of our routine and the days and stuff like that, that we forget the importance of laughter, you know? And I think that it's really awesome that you've chosen to take your pain and turn it into purpose, yeah. you know? That's well, to me, to me, there's nothing else to do. Like, I'm not going to sit around and cry. I'm not going to wallow. I mean, I certainly I have cried and I have wallowed, but it's, you know, it's the kind of thing I have to allow myself to do for some amount of time. And then I have to make myself get out of it because I know how strong the undertow is and it will suck you back in over and over and over. And you'll just keep reliving the pain and reliving the trauma and it will start to affect how you move forward and the, and the people you move forward with and the pace at which you do move forward. And I don't, I don't want to affect those things. I want all of that to be 
you know, as smooth sailing as it can be. There are going to be enough obstacles put in my way by life. I don't need to put them in my own way. And how did you get to that mindset? Because not, not everyone has that kind of mindset. I mean, I'm, I, I guess I've always felt that way. I'm not a person that ever, I never experienced any real depression. That wasn't, depression wasn't ever my plight in life. And, and I, I mean, certainly I can look back at parts of my life and be like, oh, I think I was probably a little bit depressed then. I was sleeping a lot. I was, you know, not getting a lot done. But while I was sleeping and not getting a lot done, like, I feel like I was almost like in a cocoon, like figuring it out. And then when I had it figured out, I was ready to pop out of that bitch and be a butterfly. Like, let's fly, let's soar. I figured it out. And I never stayed in that for more than a week or it's not like I had years of this or months of this or, or anything. And so I always gave myself that time. I always said like, look, girl, you have a week. I mean, even now, right now, I've been so crazy busy with TV shows and touring and tapings and podcasts and interviews and all this stuff. And this week I was like, you know what, girl, it's the Jewish high holy days. People are going to be chilling in Hollywood anyway. I have like 10 days off between filmings. And I'm like, I'm just gonna do nothing, which I don't consider depression. I consider it a little recharging period. I need to sleep, catch up on my sleep. I need to rehydrate. I need to get back on my vitamin regimen. I need to get back into my eating routine. I need to get back into my journaling, my meditation, all the things that kind of get skewed and thrown on the back burner when you're going, 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 which is awful because that's when you need it the most. That's when I need the routine is when things are going askew. I haven't quite figured out that balance yet, but I'm sure I will. And so now to get kind of back into my groove and back into my, my, my chill vibes is, is good for me. It's really good for me. And I give myself that time. So I think I've always just allowed myself to feel what I feel when I feel it and, and to kind of deal with it head on. Like I've always kind of bargained with myself like, okay, girl, when my grandma died, I was just devastated and it was so sad. And um, my grandma died the morning of June 16th. And that afternoon, my dog was born. And my grandma used to always say, when I die, I want to come back as one of your dogs. You treat these dogs like they're people. They're like queens. You spoil them. I want to come back as one of your dogs. And I'll be damned if she didn't. I'm telling you, this dog is my grandma. She knows everything about me. She, if I'm crying, this dog comforts me. If she's in another room, she knows I'm upset. This dog, she has the most human eyes. She looks at me. She likes the same. My grandmother loved cantaloupe. I have a Labrador that eats cantaloupe. Have you ever met a dog that eats melon? I'm saying this is my grandma reincarnated. You know what I mean? So even though I was so devastated, like I gave myself, you know, a week, two weeks to kind of grieve and be sad about it. But then this dog had been born. So I started going and visiting this dog every day that I was gonna get when it was old enough to be led away from its mom. And it just became this sort of transformation of that pain into hope and excitement and joy and, and knowing that like this spirit, this life force that was so much a part of my heart can still be a part of my heart in this other form. And so it's just, and, and life has, has, my life has lent itself to those kind of, 
of, uh, of tragedies. When something bad happens, I feel like I'm, I, I let it sit with myself. I, I take it in. I really sort of absorb all of that. And then I very soon after start thinking, okay, now how can we, we, you know, now that we've carved out this cavern of sadness, how do we fill it back up with joy? Mm. And, and, and that's the, that's the key. So I'm very lucky. I don't know if that was instilled in me. Like, I don't feel like anybody ever taught me that. I feel like that's just how I always was. I was never, I was always a happy, a basically happy person. And even when bad things would happen to me, it was never like, oh, she's down for the count. You know, it was always like, look, she took her knocks. She'll be back. Give her a minute. She's going to, it'll, she'll come around, you know? And so I was always that person. And, and I'm very lucky that, you know, the things that have happened to me were, I was able to deal with and they were, um, tragic to me, but not necessarily tragic in the sense of, you know, the things I've heard from people. I mean, just the things I've seen on Netflix that really happened in the fucking world. You're yeah. like, oh my God, thank God I was just raised by a narcissist. This could have been my life. This could have been my life. They could have strapped me to a chair and left me. What? Like, like you, you, you know, you start to realize, wow, maybe the shit I went through wasn't so terrible. I had a mean mom, you know, like boo-hoo. I'll get over it, you know, but there are people that really dealt with actual tragedy. I think once you start realizing all the things you have to be grateful for that you didn't have to go through, you also start to, to see a way, a path to healing. What is wrong with you? Yeah, absolutely. Perspective makes such a difference. Big time. It really does. Big time. And it Big takes time. a lot of self-awareness, I think, to gain another perspective. And open-mindedness to, to be able to, you know, get outside of your own beliefs and what you've conditioned yourself to believe and see things from a different eagle eye perspective. Yeah. And yeah. to have had, you know, 15 months by myself with a dog was also, you know, very self uh, awareness building. Like I really got to know a lot about myself and my habits and my wants and my needs and like really, really what kind of person am I? You know, I got to really examine that and sit with that and process that for so long without interruption uh, and also without having to worry about, you know, are my bills getting paid? Is this, you know, I didn't have that kind of worry. I was very lucky that um, the state of California really took care of us. You know, we really got EDD very quickly and, um, and sufficiently. And I'd worked in so much TV right before this all happened and had done so many gigs that I, I really was able to live. And my, my landlord, you know, cut me a break on the rent and all, all the things that needed to happen really happened for me. So without having the stress of not working, I was able to not work and really focus on myself. And I, all I can do is be grateful because I know that wasn't everybody's experience. And I know that so many people went through so much pain and upheaval and tragedy during those 15 months uh, and had to work and didn't have a choice and were forced into situations that were compromising to their health and therefore the compromising to the health of their family and all of the things that happened, all of the situations that kind of led to where we got to. Um, 
and I feel for those people. And I'm so grateful that I was really able to take this time and, and work on myself. But I certainly, uh, my heart goes out to the people that just didn't have that luxury, didn't have that privilege, didn't have that um, choice. Right, right. Beautifully said, beautifully said. So let's jump into a little bit more about um, your career and your accomplishments and, you know, inspire these people real quick. Um, you know, you've been on, uh, I saw the Drew Barrymore uh, clip, oh, yeah. awesome. Thank Tell you. me how, how you got on that show. Was it, was it hard to get on her show? Was it? I got a, I got a call one day from a producer, like, Hey, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a producer, Drew Barrymore, and she's looking for comedians to come on her show. Would you do it? Yeah. <laughs> like, awesome. Of course I would, you know? And so they sent a kit over here and I filmed it in my house. So oh, wow. I had to set cool. up all the backdrops and, and get it all done. And, 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 you know, it was all done in this room right here on this wall. And, um, you know, it was, but it was comedy done to silence. There was no audience laughing. There was no laugh track. There was no, any, the, even the producers that were watching me film it couldn't laugh. I couldn't hear them because it was taping and, and they were muted in the zoom call and stuff. So it wasn't an easy thing to film, but it was fun to do. And I certainly got a lot of response from it. I certainly built up my Instagram following, got a nice little boost. My, my Twitter got a nice little boost, Facebook, all those things. So it was nice. I was like, why is every, why is my Twitter going nuts? What's going, oh, this, they, they put out the thing, you know, so I didn't even know it had aired. So uh, I also did a, a little, um, what they called HBO hot mic for the HBO uh, for their web content, where I literally just told like two or three of my jokes straight on to the camera and they picked them up and used them and paid me for it. And I was like, this is fantastic. That's you know, awesome. so, so you pick up little gigs here and there uh, as, as things were starting to open up again uh, in last spring. <clears throat> and now, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on a full tour schedule. I'm touring a lot. I am playing a lot of performing arts centers, a lot of colleges, a lot of comedy clubs. Uh, I'm on two new uh, upcoming television series. I have an animated series coming out and um, I just got a little tiny part in a new movie that's filming down South. So it's all, it's all going on. It's all happening. It's all, it's, it's all, all happening. happening. Yes. It's all happening. God bless America is what I <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And um, just to kind of end the show on this note, what is the, the legacy that you'd like to leave behind as an individual? I mean, I would like to, I would like to eventually get my own series that, that I, you know, that goes on for a nice five-year chunk, goes into syndication that people love. You know, I want one of those shows that kids want to come home from school to watch because it's playing every day after the way Full House was, you know, when I was a kid or the way the Golden Girls is now, like one of those shows that you just love to watch that stands the test of time and that is just genuinely funny to everyone that, that appeals to a really wide span of people. And I think as a, as a, 
a gay performer, as a lesbian, as a female, as a Southern person. You know, you want all those parts of you to be represented and, and to be accepted and not just accepted, but loved and liked and wanted. Uh, so, so the thing, the, the piece that I've created, I think does that. And I, and I hope that that's the legacy that I leave behind. I hope people listen to my comedy forever long after I'm gone and are like, man, that was funny. Like, I don't agree with it or I do agree with it, whatever that is, but I thought it was funny. And, and if, if I leave them laughing, uh, whether I'm here or not, you know, that's the legacy. Nice. That's beautiful. And, and that's um, something that I think that you're definitely going to do because you've Thank already you. started. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jen, so much for being on LesPod. It was an honor to get to know Anytime. you. This was super fun. It was a great, uh, a great conversation. I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. I hope that people are listening and that you're building followers and, and getting the word out because this is, this is the kind of positive, good vibe that people need and, and good, good on you for putting it together. Yeah. And I also think for, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm narrowing it down. I mean, it is all for the whole LGBTQ plus plus community. Um, but I've narrowed it down a little bit more targeting a lesbian audience um, because I felt like there was a lot of competition more so than kindness. Well, I think the truth is, is that the more that all the alphabet people all the L's, the G's, the B's, the T's, the Q's, the I's, the A's, the M-O-U-S-E, L-M-N-O-P, Q-R-S, all of that. I hope we all can have a better understanding of each other because to be honest, I didn't know a lot about the trans community. That's never been my story. That's never been my plight. I knew that it was there. I certainly wanted to be respectful of it, but I didn't know that story or that history or what that was about. And to go and learn that and then to have conversations with all my trans friends and to really go through that was so enlightening and wonderful for me. And the gay, even the gay history is not the same as the lesbian history. You know what I mean? Even, even though we were all sort of on the same side, the struggle, what we were all on the, struggling with the same waters. We were all in the same choppy waters, but we weren't all in the same boat. And so I think it's very nice to see us all start to put our boats together and realize that if we can sail these waters together in one big boat, we're going to do better for ourselves than everybody trying to be in their own little boat rowing against the wind and the water. So <clears throat> I think even, you know, yes, you want to make something that appeals to everyone because you want everyone to come together. But even just by narrowing in on one group or one niche of the group, you still bring about an understanding that there are still, we still need to know about the other parts, even if we aren't necessarily a member of the other parts. Very true. So that was, I really like the way you said that. That was awesome. That was awesome. You're a rock star. I'm so <laughs> grateful. I'm so grateful you joined the show. Um, Thank you again. It was an honor and a privilege to be able to have you on my podcast, on my show. Of course. And um, I, I plan on coming to LA and hopefully, you know, we could do some something cool together. Yeah, I would love that. Listen, I am one of those people that really do get on my own social media and all that stuff. I'm not 
I don't have somebody else answering for me. So if you ever want to reach me, uh, if you go, just go to jencober.com. Uh, you can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm not on Snapchat because I don't care what you look like as a deer, but I'm on everything else. And, uh, and you can find me and speak with me and talk to me, find out where I am. If I can hook you up with free tickets to come see a show, I will, uh, you know, whatever that looks like, because I want people there. I want people to see what I'm doing. I want people to laugh at what I'm doing. I want people to have access to what I'm doing. I, you know, I get letters all the time. Hey, I'm in a wheelchair. Can I still get into your show? Hey, my friends are hard of hearing. Will there be interpreters at your show? Hey, is there, uh, you know, uh, an accommodation for my, my, I'm bringing my grandma with me and she weighs 650 pounds. What do we do? Like, I want to help you with all of those things. I want as many people as, as often as is possible to be there enjoying the show with everyone. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Uh, if you want to come see a show, if you want to be there, I'd love to have you when you're in LA, girl. I'll take you to the cool places. I'm not that hip or that cool myself, but I'll, I'll put you in the map quest where stuff is. Let's do it. We're both single. Let's, let's go rock this place. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, Jen. Well, you, it was again, a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Um, I look forward to, to doing great things. Thank you so much for being a part of this. You're amazing. You're welcome. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 o